please join me by turning to the book of Philippians. This morning's message is titled, A Flyover of Philippians. During the fall, I find myself traversing the woods more than any other time throughout the year. And while in the woods this time of year, I'm walking game trails for hundreds of yards. I'm intently looking for deer sign on tree that indicate the presence of a mature whitetail. I'm carrying bags of corn on my back to try and attract whitetail to my location. But one thing that my friend Kirkland has taught me is the value of the big picture. No one I know studies a map longer or better than he does. And when he's studying a map, he's looking for a few things. He's looking for elevation changes and foliage distinctions in the thick forest from a 10,000-foot view. And the reason that this has proved to be productive for him is because oftentimes in scouting, as the old adage says, I can miss the forest for the trees. Well, did you know that we can make the same error as we study God's Word as well. Are you aware that as we carefully walk through the thick trails of a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word, as we have done over the last three or so months in our study of Philippians, we could lose sight of the whole picture of God's purpose and miss the forest for the trees. So now that we have walked the trails of chapters 1 to 4 over the last few months and scoured the details behind every word that the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter, this message is going to be about zooming out in order to get a big picture of Philippians, which I think can be summed up in this sentence. Philippians is about how to bring our lives in line with a joy in Jesus that's independent of season or circumstance. And each chapter has provided us with an answer on how to live this way which means that we're going to have four points this morning. But before we zoom out and study the book of Philippians as a whole, let's press in to the Lord and ask for His help as we study His Word. For without Him, we have nothing. Lord, we, we come humbly in this moment. We thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving Your Word, for preserving Your Word. Thank you for the book of Philippians. What an, an incredible book it has been for our church to study at this moment in the life of our church. So Lord, as we, as we set our minds and set our hearts to study your word in this next hour, Lord, we just ask that you please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point this morning is, does my life have a purpose? Chapter 1. Now, I'm not sure if you know someone like this, but my dad probably has more keys than a janitor at the Smithsonian. 
He has so many keys that if he doesn't show you which key goes with which lock, you might be searching for the rest of the day to find the right fit. Well, in a similar way, as Christians, we can fiddle with the wrong keys for a long time when trying to unlock God's purpose for our lives. But when we look back at Philippians 1, I think the key to unlocking God's purpose for our lives is clearly and quickly seen from the outset of this letter. While sitting in a Roman prison, the Apostle Paul tells Living Hope Church of Philippi that his imprisonment has a purpose. It's not meaningless. It's purposeful. He says this in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that is his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. So in other words, the purpose of Paul's imprisonment is the advancement of the gospel. Is the the movement of the gospel, the preached word, to tackle sinners and bring them to saving faith in Jesus. But how in the world has Paul come to this radical conclusion? Is he seeing fruit? Yes, he's certainly seen fruit. He says in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I think that's fruit. While Paul sits in prison, I think he wants us to see this picture. He's telling the guards that are called to watch him, to guard him. He's telling the guards at every opportune moment that he has of God's love for them. And what he has done to send and sacrifice his son on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And the, and the effect of Paul's faithfulness to preach the gospel at every opportune moment to anyone and everyone who will listen has caused, as he says in verse 14, most of the Christian preachers in the city of Rome to proclaim the gospel with fresh boldness. The Paul's in prison... In Rome, horrible conditions, but undeterred by them, continues to proclaim the gospel to everyone, including the guards, because they can't go anywhere. They have to be right there. He's telling them about what God has done for them and sending his son to die on the cross. And they're seeing fruit, seeing people come to saving faith in Jesus, and the other Christians in Rome are being really, really encouraged by his boldness to proclaim the gospel, the very reason for why he's in prison in the first place. So it's causing sort of an outbreak of boldness in Rome. So, the purpose of Paul's imprisonment is the, pro- is the proclamation of the gospel, is the advancement of the gospel. But, while we are getting close, we haven't quite identified the, the purpose of of Paul's life just yet. We've identified the purpose of his imprisonment, but what's the purpose of his life? Well, that is until he says this in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and 
to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Scientists say that if we were to begin digging in the ground, most places it would take us anywhere between 100 and 500 feet before we hit bedrock. Bedrock is the is the solid rock that lies beneath the surface of the soil. So friend, let me ask you this question. If you started digging in your heart and hit bedrock, what would your bedrock be? What would the foundation of your being look like? What would the message of the foundation of your life be? What is the solid rock that lies beneath the surface of your motives? That lies beneath the surface of your behavior? Well, if we were, if we were observers of a dig in Paul's heart, we would discover that the solid rock that lies beneath the surface of his motives was verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Friends, this is the key to unlocking God's purpose for our lives. Once we put this key into the lock, the door flings open. So that no no matter what we do for a living... No matter what hobbies we have, no matter what circumstances we live in, our purpose becomes plain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some people say, I live for the weekend. And what they mean is that they They structure their life to work all week in anticipation and in celebration and excitement for the weekend. Whatever the weekend holds, camping, partying, whatever it might be. Everything leads up to that. I live for the weekends. But the Christian should say, I live for Christ. So friend, what does it look like for you to live for Christ? Well, if you're a student, it may look like studying diligently. Not so that you may make a lot of money when you come to the time to graduate, but so that you might be an instrument for God to use your bank account and your skills to bless His people and to advance the gospel both locally and internationally. If you're a stay-at-home mom, It may look like changing another diaper and feeding another mouth without a single thank you. But remembering that you're doing this as worship to Christ. If you're a dad and find yourself so tired when you get home from working all week, you want to use the weekend to delve into your own personal interests and your own hobbies, sort of Check out for a minute and leave the family to do their thing. This text may help you to remember that you're not called to live for yourself. You're called to live for Christ. For all of us, 
without exception. To live for Christ means to live for His glory. To live for His glory and to live for His purposes. And not to live for our own. At least to our second point this morning. How do I live out this purpose? Chapter 2. What is my purpose? Chapter 1. Chapter 2. How do I live out this purpose? So chapter 1 is clear. The purpose of our lives is to live for Christ. But how does the abstract become application? How does the head knowledge lead to the hands and the feet movement? How does the theoretical (laughs) become the practical? Well, Paul tells us just how in Philippians chapter 2. He tells us in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. Well, contrary to what many contemporary skeptics say about Christianity, Christianity is not a faith that asks you to leave your mind at the door when you come to Jesus. Instead, Christianity, ours, is a faith at least in one sense, that is a matter of the mind. What you think about matters. So to help us live for Christ, to help us align our lives to live all of our lives for the glory of God, Paul tells us that right Christian living starts with right Christian thinking. So in other words... We cannot live for Christ if we do not think rightly about Christ and think deeply on Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, We tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. The most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So how do we get this mind that Paul's telling us about in Philippians chapter 2? Do I have to read systematic theology every night before I fall asleep? Or perhaps that's what puts me to sleep? Do I have to to graduate, go and graduate from a Bible college? If we're talking about the mind, what must I do to get this mind of Philippians chapter 2? Do I have to become a scholar? Well, no. So we're going to see in the verses that follow, this is not about walking with fat minds. This is not about, as my old pastor in Russellville used to say, this is not about being theologue heads. This text is calling us to align our minds with the humble mind of Christ. Paul says this starting in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So here's the key, I think, to aligning our minds with the mind of Christ. Here's the key to to getting the point of Philippians 2, to have this mind. Verse 5. If you have your Bible, look at this verse. Look at this. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, comma, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Well, to have the mind of Christ means to be done with my selfish ambitions and to live for the glory of God and the good of others. But how does it become mine? How does his mind become mine? Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. How does it become, I feel like I don't have his mind all the time. I'm in my my mind. How do I have his mind? Well, according to Paul, if I'm a Christian, I already have access to his mind. If I'm a believer... I'm a Christian, I already have access to his mind. Okay? But how do I tap in to that access? Is it through developing a better prayer life? Although that will certainly enhance your relationship with the Lord, the answer is surprisingly no. Is it through memorizing more Bible verses? Though that will certainly help with the renewing of your mind that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. The surprising answer, once again, is no. So, how does his mind become my mind? If this is the secret... Live for Christ is the goal. That's the purpose of my life. How do I do it? Have this mind. How do I have his mind? Here it is. Are you ready? (laughs) By placing your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I was hoping to hear somebody say, is it that simple? What about the 10 steps to work harder, develop more disciplines, like make myself feel like I'm a little closer to him? That's how I have his mind, sort of meditate and sort of meditate. Oh, yeah, like like sort of sit Indian style, meditate, bring myself in line with him, align the sign with all these sort of Eastern thoughts. Pray harder. Okay, okay, let me just pray for three hours. If I pray for three hours a day, I'll have his mind because that's a lot of time in prayer. And that, that seems like somehow that would work. Or, or if, I mem- if I memorized the whole Bible, I would have his mind. No, Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't say any of this. Have this mind among yourselves, comma, which is yours. Which is yours. In Christ Jesus. How do we have this mind? By placing our faith in Jesus. My daily dependent faith 
in Jesus. Aligns my mind to his mind, which is already mine in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me just say this tongue twister again. My daily dependent faith in Jesus aligns my mind to his mind, which is already mine in Jesus. The alignment of our minds to his mind is not the work of the human willpower. But it is the work of his supernatural power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who applies the benefits of our union with Christ to our lives. What Paul is getting at in Philippians 2 is this doctrine of union with Christ. We're already united with Christ. We're already in him positionally. God sees us. We don't wake up every morning and sort of have to reposition ourselves as good little Christians to be seen rightly before God. No, when we come to saving faith in Jesus, we are eternally positioned in the person of Jesus Christ. God no longer sees us as the sinners that we once were. He sees us as the saints that we now are. So what we do in the mornings or whatever <laughs> is that we... we had, we by faith acknowledge, God, you have already given me the mind of Christ, but it's my job to ask you to align my mind with his mind, which is already mine, in Christ. So that's what you do. Here's what it could look like. You're waking up later than you wanted to. You started the year saying, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray, but then the kids the kids wake you up in the middle of the night and you're thinking, oh, I can't get up in the morning. And so you get up late and you're going to Barb's book study and you're like, I'm running late to Barb's book study and you're leaving and you feel like, oh, today's, I'm not, I don't have the mind of Christ today. I have my mind because I'm, I don't feel like, well, here's what you could do. This is, I mean, this is the beauty of the Christian faith. It's not the work of willpower. It's the work of his supernatural power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As you're driving, the kids are screaming. You want to throw the Cheerios at them. And you're saying, you say, Lord, I believe your word that I have the mind of Christ already. Would you help align my mind with his mind, which is already mine in Christ? You know what? Like that simple prayer, that simple prayer yields my mind to the Spirit who will help me access which is what is already mine in Christ. I just think that's amazing. I just think that's just really amazing. <laughs> well, that leads to our third point this morning. Does my past disqualify me from serving His purposes? Chapter 3. Well, as you know, this is no surprise to you. I've said it for many weeks now. I'm a bow hunter. One thing that I've learned in bow hunting over the last 15 years is that it's really challenging to hit your target with a stick and a string every single time. There are just a lot of factors 
that influence that tiny little arrow to go exactly where you want it to go. Well, listen, friends, the same is true for our Christian life. As we draw back our lives in the direction of living for Christ, there are so many influences that can knock us off course. But I think the, that one of the most common influences that knocks us off course is our previous failures. Nothing derails Christian purpose quite like previous failures do. And when I say previous failures, I could mean failures from the last five minutes, the last five years, or the last 50 years. So what do we do about that? Well, we have to know what God says that we have to do about it. What we have to do about it. And what He says should give us enough confidence regardless of how many times we've missed the target to try again. Here in chapter 3, Paul restates the purpose of his Christian life this way. In verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's his target, knowing Christ, living for Christ. But he makes sure to tell us in verse 12 that he has never hit the bullseye. But he continues to take shots. He says, it's not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what do we do with those nagging failures in our lives? Those nagging, reoccurring thoughts of failures that resurface in our mind when we set our hearts to live for His purposes. That's when they come back with fury, isn't it? When we rededicate or whatever, whatever that means. Sort of, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this Philippians 1 life. I'm going to live for Christ. And then all of a sudden, we walk out and we think, Oh, I can't. I, I sin too much or I get angry too often or I look at images more frequently than I should. I can't live for His purposes. So what do we do with those nagging thoughts of failure that derail us from the purpose of chapter 1? We do this. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on, Paul says. Don't you love that instruction? Forgetting what lies behind? After all, 
Why should I constantly remember and rehearse my sins when Hebrews 8.12 says this? I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Or maybe you didn't know that in Christ God no longer remembers all of your sins. But in what way does God not remember all of our sins? When we say that God does not remember our sins, we are saying that he has chosen not to use them against us. Instead of seeing us as sinners, he has chosen to see us as saints in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be united to Jesus Christ. As Jesus was dying on the cross, God placed our sins on him. And he punished Jesus in our place. He treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated as a result of our sins. Every last sin, down to the tiniest offense, was placed upon the person of Jesus Christ. And he was crushed by the righteous wrath of God that we deserve. And he did this because he loves us. He wanted us to be in a right relationship with him that is not disrupted and corrupted by sin. So in Christ, God has chosen to to not remember all of our sins. Therefore, if the judge of the universe has chosen to put away all of our sins, why should we walk around remembering them and being defined by them? We must, once and for all, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on towards the upper goal of God in Christ Jesus. That leads to our fourth and final point this morning. How can I be content in Christ despite my circumstances? We've seen the purpose is to live for Christ. We've seen the mind that we must have to live for Christ. We've seen how not to allow our past to derail us when we set out on this purpose to live for Him. And then finally, finally, now that we've got all this stuff behind us and we're walking the Christian pilgrimage, we're walking the way following Jesus and we encounter circumstances that are not ideal, that are frustrating, and they feel, they feel disruptive. How can we be content in Christ despite these things? I think that's the point of chapter 4 of Philippians. Have you ever seen a GoPro stabilizer? I think they, they call these things gimbals. Did I pronounce that right? 
Well, the principle is that they help keep the video stable despite the movement of the one who's holding the camera. Well, what's really funny is that the other day I saw a video of someone demonstrating that there is absolutely no need to purchase a gimbal to stabilize your camera shots. Instead, all, all that one needs to do is to head to your local tractor supply and buy a cheap chicken and strap a GoPro to its head. If you pick up a chicken by its body and begin to sort of rotate it in all angles and sort of disrupt its body, its head stays perfectly still, fixed, like a gimbal on its object. In fact, I think you could say that chickens are God's gimbals. <laughs> That's a great time for an amen. Well, listen, how do we as Christians stay stable with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ? How do we as Christians stay stable with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ even if there is instability in our circumstances? Well, that's what Paul tells the Christian about in chapter 4. He does this by first telling us in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of anxiety sitting in the driver's seat of our life, Paul tells us to put prayer Thanksgiving to God behind the wheel. In other words, don't fix your minds on your anxious circumstances, but fix them by faith upon Christ. Fix your eyes by faith upon Christ. And the secret to access this power to replace who's in the driver's seat by default and all of us because of our fallen and natural condition, Paul says the power comes through Christ. The power to replace the anxious driver behind the, the wheel of our lives, the power to rip him out of the seats and put thanksgiving and prayer in that seat is not through willpower, not through trying harder, but it is through Christ. He says this in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Context of Philippians 4.13 is contentment. How can I be content? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, Paul is circling back around to communicate that the secret for Christian living is not found by looking inside oneself. It is found by looking in faith 
to the person of Jesus Christ. The secret of the Christian life is not found by looking inside oneself for reasons to press on, to be content in circumstances. It is by looking without, not within, but without, by faith to Jesus. So, friend, the last three months we have zoomed way in and we have noticed the details of every word that the Apostle Paul wrote to us in the book of Philippians. And this morning we have zoomed way out and taken a good hard look at the 10,000 foot view of this book. And we've seen from this high angle these four things, the purpose of our lives, the mind that we must have to live out this purpose, the necessity to forget what lies behind and to strain forward to what lies ahead. And fourthly, the power, the power to be content. Yes, it takes supernatural power to be content, to live our lives for His purposes despite our circumstances. Each, each one of these four things is meant to bring our lives in line with a joy in Jesus that is independent of whatever season and whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. What a book. What a book Philippians has been. And as we finish a book each time as a local church, I think they are huge moments. I think they are milestone moments in the life of the church. Because whether we recognize it or not, God is using his word to build his church. He is building us up to be the body that he called us to be. And I thank him so much for the book of Philippians. I thank him for the book of Philippians. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Thanking him for Philippians, asking him for help to live out the book of Philippians. Lord, we, it feels like we have scaled the highest mountains in our study of Philippians. It's just been remarkable to see like the Grand Tetons of just scaling what it looks like, your vision for our lives as Christians. It's just remarkable. Thank you so much for preserving the book of Philippians for our good, for our edification, for our well-being. And Lord, I know you're doing a lot of things. You're doing a lot of things in a lot of different people's lives through your word. And I just want to ask you freshly, I just want to freshly ask you, God, to not allow us to just zoom by 
Philippians and the study of Philippians without allowing it to change us in the ways in which you wanted it to change us. And you're doing all different things in all of our lives. But my, my request, my, my, my prayer is, God, that you would, you would take Philippians and all, all that's said in Philippians by the Spirit and apply it to our lives, our hearts, that we would mature in Christ. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.